Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you today. Isn't it a beautiful day? Got a little moisture falling from the sky and God is nourishing the earth. We've had some cold weather, but it's warming up a little bit again. About 4,500 years ago, there was an idolater who lived over in the Middle East. And uh, this guy, we don't know a lot about him. We do know he lived. We know he had three sons. One of his boys was a guy that you've heard of. One of his boys was a guy named Abraham. Abraham was raised by an idolater. He lived in an idolatrous world, an idolatrous time. Lived in a place called Ur. And Abraham was such an impactful man by his faith and the way he lived that today, in the world today, probably half of the religious people in the world trace their faith back to this man, Abraham. See, God came to Abraham and talked to him one day. And he told him, he said, Abraham, I want you to get up and leave her. I want you to go, and I'll tell you where to stop. I want you to leave everyone and everything behind. And he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants, and I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, I, in my mind, can't fathom what that scene was like. I thought about it. thought a lot about it. I don't know what happened otherwise that day with Abraham. But God promised him, I will bless the whole world through your descendants. And so you know what Abraham did? He got up early the next morning and he loaded the wagon and he took off. Just like God told him to do. He was a man of unwavering faith. Now, he wasn't a perfect man. He did things that were wrong. But he was a man of tremendous faith. He trusted God. He didn't have any kids. His wife was barren. She couldn't have children. And so God told him in this promise here, I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. He was pretty excited about that, pretty happy about that. But you get a couple of chapters later, and many years later have gone by, and Abraham says, Lord, you remember the promise you made to me? He said, you know, there's a servant born in my house who's my heir right now. And God said, that's not going to work. You can't use your servant as your heir. You yourself are going to have a child. And in Genesis chapter 15, we find a story that occurs when Abraham was on this journey. And God makes Abraham fall into a deep sleep. And God appears to him as a torch. And he has had Abraham take an animal and cut the animal in half. And God passes as a torch in between the halves of that animal, making a covenant, literally cutting a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham is told by God, you're going to have a son. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed God. Now, you got to realize this is the promise that God makes him is impossible. His wife is barren. She can't have kids. Not only that, they're getting old. I mean, she would have been able to have kids maybe if she was younger and they could have done something about the infertility, but not now. 
On top of that, Abraham is getting old, and he's too old to have kids, so you got triple impossible here. A barren woman who's too old to have kids and a husband who's too old to have kids. And Abraham was the kind of man who had the faith that he looks over at his old dried up prune of a wife in her rocking chair and he says, honey, we're going to have a baby. Can you imagine that kind of faith? And you know what? They did have a baby. They had a child. And years and years and years later, the descendants of that man have built into a nation. There's millions of them now. 430 years later, there are millions of them. And a man named Moses comes along and God uses him to lead those people out of Egypt. And they come out and they come to the base of this mountain. And God says, anybody that touches the mountain's going to die. Don't touch it. Moses, come here. Up on the mountain. And so Moses went up on the mountain. And he's gone for 40 days. And everybody thinks, you know what? Maybe he shouldn't have gone up on that mountain. He's an old man. And uh, God said, don't touch the mountain. They think maybe he's dead. So his brother makes a golden cow. And they all worship this golden cow. And God's very angry. And God kills a bunch of them. And Moses takes the Ten Commandments that God has given him. And he throws them down and breaks them. And he says, who's on the Lord's side? And a bunch of them stood up, Levites, and said, we are. And he said, then get to meeting out God's judgment on these people. They killed thousands of them. Moses goes back up on the mountain and he gets this law. And I want you to know these descendants of Abraham, when he came down with that law, there wasn't any golden cows they were worshiping. They were listening. And he says, you're going to be my people. You are my chosen people because of Abraham. And here's my law for you. Here's my agreement with you. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. And I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. And if you keep my law, I'll bless you. But if you break it, I'm going to curse you. What do you think? And all the people said, yes. Fist pumps in the air. Yes, you are our God and we will keep your law. We're going to keep it. You know the story if you know much about the Bible. Did Israel keep the law? (laughs) Not even close. They tried at times. Most of the time they didn't even really try. You had individuals through that period of time who were men and women after God's own heart who sought to do that. But one thing every Jew that ever lived knew, we're God's people. You know what? We're not these heathen out here. We're not the Gentiles. We're God's people. We are the people of God. You know why? Because we're descendants of Abraham and we've got his law. And we're the only ones in covenant with God. It was that world into which Jesus came as a Jew. And Jesus kept that law perfectly. Only one that ever did. Jesus kept it perfectly. And then Jesus was killed on the cross. He was hung on the cross and died for the sins of the world. 
And then Peter stood up and he preached. He said, you know, the promise that God made to Abraham way back then that he was going to bless the whole world through a descendant of Abraham, that was Jesus. He taught that message. And the Jews, yes, they were excited. More fist pumps in the air. God has kept his promise and he sent them aside. Well, some of the Jews did. Whole bunch of the Jews said, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not doing this. We're not doing this. You're not, you're not getting rid of what Moses put in way back then and changing it to something else. This law, this law of God. And you know, the most zealous of all of those Jews was a guy named Paul. And Paul, I mean, he loved the law of God and he was zealous to the point that when these new Upstart Christians came along the scene. He says, we're going to stop this. and We're going to stop it now. And he got behind killing them. He was wreaking havoc on the church. Arresting them. Having them thrown in prison. And then on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus himself. And he's a changed man. He's a different man. Jesus sends Ananias to him. He's prayed and fasted for three days. And Ananias says, won't you get up and be baptized and wash away your sins? Calling on the name of the Lord. And Paul that day became Paul instead of Saul. I don't know exactly when his name changed, but he became the guy we know as the Apostle Paul. And one thing he knew, he loved that law of Moses but he knew Jesus was the living, breathing, walking law of Moses in the flesh. I mean, if you could take that law and make it a person, you'd have Jesus. And you know what the Jews did to it? They hung it on a tree because they hated it when they saw it walking in the flesh. Paul knew that and Paul understood that. And he tried to teach that to these descendants of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham are going, no, 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 no. We love the law. And so finally, Paul says, I tell you what, guys, you've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. I'm going to the Gentiles. And then began this fulfillment of this promise. Now, Peter was the first one to preach to a Gentile, but Paul's the one who became the apostle to the Gentiles. And the fulfillment of that promise so many years ago that all nations of the earth would be blessed. And he began to take that gospel that we now have our salvation in Jesus Christ. And he preached it. And Jews saw that Gentiles by the thousands were coming into Christ. And they were being saved and they were having a relationship with the Lord. And the Spirit was falling on them and they were speaking in tongues and doing miracles. And there was no denying God was with these people. But those Jews, those descendants of Abraham, man, they just, that just didn't sit right with them. And some of them were so upset about it that they began to follow the Apostle Paul around. Everywhere he went, they would come in after he left, and they would teach something a little bit different. They would change the things Paul taught, and they would try to make these Gentiles become Jews so they could be right with God. And Galatia is one of those areas that they went to. 
Paul, when he writes this letter to the Christians in Galatia, begins with these words. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he starts this letter to him going, you guys are killing me here. <laughs> really? You are already leaving the gospel that I taught you because somebody's come in and perverted it and changed it and you're believing them? By the time he gets to chapter 3, Paul is losing patience with these people. And he says it this way, Oh, foolish Galatians! Some of the newer translations use the S word, the stupid, (laughs) there. They say, you Galatians are stupid. Why? Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So when we get to Galatians 3 in the passage that I'm covering this morning, Paul has all this background going on with these people. And they have been bewitched. He said, you're fools. Are you kidding me? What are you doing? Well, what were they doing? What was going on? In this case, what was the problem in Galatia? The problem was that someone had perverted the gospel to the point that they had deceived the Galatian Christians. These Galatian Christians knew the truth. They knew the gospel. They'd been preached the gospel. They understood it. They obeyed it. But somebody else came along teaching something. And you know, that sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty good. And before long, they started to believe that. They started to waver. They started to follow that. And they they were like Eve. You remember when Eve ate the fruit? The Bible says that Eve was deceived. She really believed the serpent. She didn't think she'd die. And these Galatians were deceived. In fact, they were deceived to the point that in the couple of chapters later, Paul tells them this. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. That word estranged from Christ, that means really, it doesn't mean we're taking a little break here. It means you're separated from him. It's the same exact words that Jesus used when he said, then I will profess to them, I never knew you depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's the same phrase in the Greek, estranged from Christ, depart from me. We're separated, I've got nothing to do with you. They had been so deceived in their relationship with God and their faith that Paul says, you're not even with Christ anymore. Well, what had happened? What was going on here? How did they get deceived to this degree? Let's look at what Paul says. First, he tells them, he says, before you, whose eyes Jesus before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. The problem was not that they were ignorant and they didn't know the truth. He says, Christ was clearly portrayed before you. He says he was crucified. Now, I honestly, I think where these people lived and when it was, very few, if any of them, would have been in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. I don't think he's saying you were standing there and saw that happen. I believe what he's saying is 
I taught you this so clearly. It's like I put a big billboard up in front of you. You saw it to the point that you accepted it and obeyed it. It was real to you. It was just like you were standing there. You saw the crucified Christ. Let me ask you, have you seen the crucified Christ? Well, not physically, but I've seen him. I've seen him. I've seen him in the pages of scripture. I've seen him in my heart and in my life. I've seen this crucified Christ just like they had. And it's very clear to me that it's true. It's absolutely the truth. They knew that. They weren't ignorant, untaught people. They had the spirit of God. He goes ahead and he says, oh, foolish Galatians. And in verse 3, he says, are you so foolish? The word foolish means not understanding, unwise or foolish. It's what Jesus told the two on the road to Emmaus where he says, you're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. You see, these people were not people who didn't know But they're people who were just unwise. They were emotional and they were carried about with things that really weren't what God said. They just got caught up in them. Have you ever got caught up in anything? I can remember when I was a kid and it seemed like everybody I knew got caught up in Melaleuca. Any of y'all know what Melaleuca is? It's some kind of a plant. And if you took Melaleuca, it was going to cure everything. And then it was emu oil. Some of you remember emus, yeah? And there's always something to get carried away with these people. They just got carried away. They just got carried along, sucked in. The Bible talks about people who are carried about with every wind of doctrine. It's not because they're unintelligent, but it's because they're not founded in God's truth. And that was the problem these people had. He said, you're foolish. You've just been led away. You've been deceived in this situation. So Paul counters this deception with two arguments in this section. Now, he makes a lot more arguments throughout the book. But he talks about two particular things in this section we're talking about here. Number one was their personal experience. He says, I want you to think about this. Okay, Step back and consider. Look at his words. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He said, let me ask you a question. How did you receive the Spirit? Did you do it by keeping these Jewish laws that the Judaizers were telling them they had to keep? Is that the way you got the Spirit? How did you receive the Spirit of God? Let me ask you that question. How did you receive the Spirit of God? Now, when they received it, it came with a lot of miraculous signs. We can read about that in Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius and his household spoke in tongues and and all. But how did you receive the Spirit? The Bible tells us that the Galatians had received the Spirit. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. How did this happen to them? Well, they knew it didn't happen through the hearing of the law of Moses because the truth is when Paul came and preached to them, most of them didn't know anything about the law of Moses. These were Gentiles in a Gentile world, in a Gentile area. They weren't practicing Jews. 
They weren't keeping feasts and circumcision and holy days. and They weren't doing that. They didn't know about any of that stuff. It was only after they became a Christian that the Judaizers came along and they said, Hey, I know you've accepted Jesus, but let me tell you, to be right with God, you need to be Jewish. So Paul says, how did you receive that? Did you receive the Spirit through the Jewish law or through the hearing of faith? Well, the answer is a hearing of faith. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He said, come on now, think about this. If you began your relationship with God by faith, by believing in His Son and trusting His Son, accepting the gospel, the the gospel message that was preached to you and responding to that in faith, do you really think now the right way to do it is to say, well, that was good to get me in, but now I'm going to go over here and keep all these Jewish laws to make me really holy, to make me really right with God. He said, does that make any sense to you? To throw over one thing that you know brought you into Christ with the Spirit and now to go look for something else? Doesn't make any sense. He says, have you suffered so many things in vain? And if indeed it was in vain. Now, this is an odd phrase in here to me. He goes along and he says, you're foolish. You've changed this. He says, have you suffered in vain? And my first thought is, well, maybe they were under some kind of persecution. And maybe they were. I don't know. Maybe they'd suffered some things for the name of Christ. That happened commonly. I think it's more likely that what he's saying is, Are you really going to suffer the loss of all these spiritual blessings that I've given, I've showed you in Christ, that Christ has given you, and go back to the bondage of Judaism? Really? Is that the decision? Is that the choice you're going to make? No, that's not a good choice. That's not the right way to go. He says, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You know, the Jews weren't doing miracles among them. The Jews weren't coming in and raising the dead and and healing the sick and speaking in foreign languages. You know who was doing that? Well, the Christians were. Those by the hearing of faith. And he says, you look and you see the real evidence of the Spirit working in these people. And then you hear this guy who's a really good public speaker and really motivational. And you're going to go over here and listen to this guy. You know what the miracles were for? They were to confirm the word by the people who spoke. He said, I was there. I did these miracles among you. And you're really going to believe those guys over what you've seen? It doesn't make sense to Paul that they would do that. He says, think about this. Secondly, I think it's helpful to us to understand the deception and why it was deceiving to them. The deception was that they needed to become Jewish to be saved. They weren't saying you don't need Jesus. They weren't saying ignore Jesus and forget Jesus. What they were saying is you need Jesus plus you need all these works of the law of Moses to be really holy. Now, you ever, you good, I'm glad you came to Jesus and all, but if you really want to be holy, if you really want to please God, you got to be circumcised 
And you got to keep all these laws. You got to keep the feasts and the holy days and the Sabbath and all these other traditions. You have to become Jewish people. Descendants of Abraham, children of Abraham, if you want to be right with God. Because you know what? The promise was to Abraham. And you've got to be a child of Abraham if you want to receive that promise. So these people were going, well, that makes sense. The promise was to Abraham and his descendants. And if I want to be one of those and receive those promises, maybe I do need to become a descendant of Abraham. Interestingly, Paul's argument to them, his second argument here, number one is, you know better because you've seen the Spirit. You know better. And his second argument is Abraham. He says, you know what? You're right. In one sense, you do need to be children of Abraham. What you don't understand is what makes you a child of Abraham. You don't understand that. The Judaizers were teaching to be a child of Abraham, you have to be Hebrew. You have to be Jewish religiously. And he says, that's not what makes you a child of Abraham. No, you can be. A, in fact, you are a child of Abraham. Look at, look at his argument. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, he starts back where we started that Abraham believed God. Do you know when that happened? I mentioned it when we went through. That Genesis 15 is where you can find it and read about it in your Bible. And I encourage you to go read that chapter. It's a fascinating story. That happened 430 years before the mountain. 430 years before the law of Moses. So let me ask you, was Abraham justified because he kept the law of Moses? Well, obviously not. The law of Moses wasn't going to come around for 400 years. He couldn't have been righteous with God by being a Jew. There were no Jews. The Jews were going to be a descendant of his someday way in the future. So being right with God cannot depend on being a Jew. In the sense that these Judaizers were teaching. So how does a person be a child of Abraham. Well, the teaching at the time was you needed the blood of Abraham in your veins. They kept good genealogy so they would know who was a descendant of Abraham. But he says, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. He says, you know what makes you a son or a child of Abraham? is not having his blood in your veins. It's not keeping the rules and regulations of his descendants. But it's having his faith in your heart that makes you a child of Abraham. If you have the same kind of faith in your heart that you trust God, and no matter what he tells you to do, no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how much it doesn't make sense to you, you say, you know what, he's God, amen, I'm doing it. If you have that kind of faith, that makes you a child of Abraham. Look here, the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying in you all the nations shall be blessed. Now I grew up thinking the gospel was hear, believe, repent, confess and be baptized. And I thought that was the gospel. That's really the plan of salvation. It's not the gospel. 
The gospel is the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And he said that the gospel was preached to Abraham. Now, I promise you, the angels that showed up and talked to Abraham didn't go, oh, by the way, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. <laughs> That's not what they told Abraham. What was the good news they told Abraham? The whole world is going to be blessed through a descendant of yours. That was the good news. The good news is I'm going to bless those that bless you and I'm going to curse those that curse you. Your descendants will be my people. And that was the good news. That was the gospel that was preached to him. And when God said this to Abraham, there weren't Jews and Gentiles. So God was talking about everyone. Everyone in the world. The Jews didn't believe that. The Jews believed that was just for the Jewish people. But that's not true. It was for everyone in the world. Now, I look around today. I know most of you. Don't know everyone. If you're a visitor, welcome. We're glad to have you here today. Probably none of you are Jewish. Hebrew. Racially. And historically. Genetic. Genealogically. I don't know how to say that. None of you have Jewish blood very strong in your veins probably. We did a... Uh, Ancestry.com DNA test here a couple of years ago. My family and I did, and we don't have any Jewish blood in us. We are full-on Gentile. <laughs> you know what? This promise is for me, just like it was for Paul, who was a Jew of the Jews. He was the most Jewish person you could find, and this promise is for me and for you just like it was for them. And Paul is telling these Gentiles, you don't have to go be Jewish. You know what? There's a movement in Christendom in America to do this kind of junk today. I know people who claim to be Christian who go celebrate the Passover. In their homes, they celebrate. They do Jewish dances and try to learn historically how the Jews dance and Paul's saying, you're so, you're missing what it's really about. It's really about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would ask you this. Do you think you could be deceived about salvation? You go, well, not me. I'm in the church of Christ. I was raised by a preacher. I was. I mean, I, I went to my first gospel meeting when I was six weeks old, and I hadn't missed a service since. I have missed a few, but not many. Could you be deceived about salvation? These Christians were. They were deceived about it. You know what I want to tell you? For a while I was deceived. I didn't understand some things about the gospel. I was, I was really confused about this. By the way, Galatians is an awesome letter, but it's, it's a, like Cliff's Notes version of Romans. So if you have time to really study, read through Galatians and then go read Romans because he fills in a lot of gaps in Romans. Paul said this, there's two ways that people can attain righteousness, theoretically. One, Moses writes about righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Paul lays out two separate ways of righteousness. And there's real confusion sometimes among Christians about what really is the way of being right with God. I grew up thinking, 
I can remember, I want to tell you, I had a discussion with the guy who's going to preach a gospel meeting for us this summer, David Minson. David and I really debated and discussed this when we grew up together. And the question was this, if you're on a roof putting shingles on the roof and you hit your thumb with the, the hammer and you want to express how you feel and you use a four-letter filth word, and as you do that, you slip and lose your balance and fall off of the building and you land breaking your neck and dying instantly. And you don't have time to say a prayer and ask God to forgive you for that sin. Are you going to heaven or hell? You're a faithful Christian other than that, but are you going to heaven or hell? What do you think? That was a big question to me. I really believed that when you committed a sin, you lost your salvation. And then you ask forgiveness and you're saved again. And then you commit a sin again and you're lost again. And then you ask forgiveness and you're saved again. I, now I call it the yo-yo because that's, that's about the way my Christianity was. Because I do good sometimes and I do bad sometimes. That's exactly the idea that's being discussed here. On what basis are we right with God? Are we right with God based on law and our works and our ability to keep law rightly? Or are we right with God based on faith, our belief and our trust in God? Now, I want you to know I am keenly aware that there are extremes on both sides of this issue. And you can fall off either side of this balance. But Paul has a tremendously good balance that he strikes for us. And I want to share with you a couple of thoughts about this. How are we saved? You've got the percentage plan. And I believe this is the error that the Galatians had. Okay? And with this percentage plan, your salvation depends just on how sanctified you are. How sanctified are you? You've been a Christian a year. Maybe you ought to be at least 20% sanctified, right? Uh, maybe you've been a Christian three or four years, five years. You need to be 50%. Been Christian 10 years or longer. Well, you need to be getting up to 80 or 90% sanctified. How sanctified are you? The problem is, as you can easily see, rightness with God, even this guy who's 90%, he's 10% short. He can't get there. And if we're honest, all of us will admit, I'm not good enough to get there. I can't make it. So what do we do? How do we get from where we are to there? And the percentage plan says this. Well, you see, the solution is Jesus is going to make up what I can't do. I do my very best, and then Jesus does the rest. And that gets me there. And if my very best is only 10%, if I'm doing my best, he'll give me 90 and get me there. If I can do 50%, he'll give me 50% and get me there. If I can do 90%, well, he's only got to give me 10% to get me there. You can see the problem with that, though, right? The problem with that is look how big I am and how little Jesus is right there. You see, the problem with that is, are you really doing your best? I mean, we'd all agree we ought to do our best, right? But are you doing your best? Really? Every day? 
remember talking to my kids about this one time on the way to church, and I was going to preach about it. My girls were all with me, and uh, I said, well, how do you be right with God? They said, well, you got to do your best. And I said, do you always do your best? And they went, well, <laughs> that's a problem. And they thought, and they said, well, you have to do your best to do your best. How's that work for you? It doesn't. It does not work for any of us. And the result of that is you end up laying on your deathbed, counting how good you were or how bad you were, and going over in your life, did I do enough? Was I, was it, will it do, precious Lord? Did I do enough? When I get to the end of the way and I'm laying there in bed and I'm thinking all those times, I was watching a football game and I could have been out visiting somebody in the hospital. And I was going to my kids' plays and I could have been studying the Bible with someone. And all the things that I could have done that I didn't do and the things that I shouldn't have done that I did do. And there's just not a good answer or solution to that. The reason that doesn't work is because law primarily serves just one function. It primarily does just one thing. Law pronounces you innocent or guilty. That's its function. So if you've never committed any sin, you've never done anything that was wrong, you stand before the law and you know what the law is going to say? You're innocent. You never did anything wrong. However, if you've ever committed just one sin and you stand before the almighty judge of the universe and he judges you on his law, what's he going to say you are? You're guilty. I go, well, I did 90% of them. You're still guilty. You see, Paul told them, he said, we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's the point of the law, is the law shows you how you're wrong. It shows you how you fail. That's what was wrong with Israel. They couldn't keep the law of Moses. The Bible tells us if any law could have been given that would have saved people, it was the law of Moses. But it didn't work because no one could keep the law. And everyone was guilty. He says in James this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You see, right here, the law is like a chain. And every one of those commands, you're hanging on that chain. How many of them have to break for you to fall? Just one. That's what Paul says. You're guilty of all now. That doesn't mean if I tell a lie, I'm a murderer. What that means is if I tell a lie, I'm a lawbreaker. If I commit a murder, I'm a lawbreaker. If I steal something, I'm a lawbreaker. I'm guilty because I've broken the law. And there's no law, none, that you can keep that will make you right with God because you can't keep it. If you're not innocent, you're guilty. So it has to depend on Jesus. And thank God it doesn't depend on me. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He said it's not based on how good you are because there's always going to be failure and there's always somebody better and always somebody worse. It's not about 
you. And there's another plan, and it's the plan that Paul was teaching, the Bible plan. And that plan is this. Jesus Christ did 100% when he lived on this earth. He kept the law. He never sinned. He never reviled those who reviled him. There was no gall in his mouth. He was a carpenter. When he hit his thumb with a hammer, he never cursed about it. Jesus was perfect in every aspect, sinless. He did a hundred percent. You see, he had no sin. He was worthy of righteousness. He was the worthy one. He is the worthy one. He did not deserve death in any way. And yet, he did die. And I accept his death in my place and his righteousness as my own. You know what? Jesus did 100%. And I can count on that. Used to talk to people, and I was one of these who would do this, say, are you saved? What do you say to that? How do you answer that question? Well, I hope so. Well, I don't know. I'm sure trying. How do you answer that? Well, you know, if I answer it based on how good I do, I'm going to say I hope so. I'm going to say it depends on the day. It depends on how I'm doing right But if I answer it based on Jesus, what the question really means is, do you believe Jesus is good enough to get you there? Do you believe that you can trust him to get you through the gates of heaven? Do you believe that you do what you do because he saved you, not in order to get him to save you? You see, that's the problem that these Judaizers had. They got, as I was raised, we'd say, getting the cart before the horse. Do you have to obey God? Absolutely you need. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things I command you to do? You have to obey him. But you obey him because he saved you and because of who he is, not in order to get him to save you. Those are very different things. You see, I will buy flowers for my wife because I love her, not because I want to get her to love me. I said that wrong, but you get, you know what I'm trying to say, right? It's different to buy flowers for her because of the relationship we have and the love that she shows me and the love that I show her than it is some guy that just meets a girl and he buys her flowers because he wants to win her heart. And that's what the... The Galatians were doing. They were going to Jesus and they're saying, we depend on you. We've learned what you, we completely know you get us there. You are the one who's right. And then they come back and they go, well, I need to do this though, because if I don't do this, if I don't keep this, this law, if I don't keep this holy day, I may not be right. I receive the credit for the perfect life that Jesus Christ lived. That does not mean I don't obey him. Please don't go out of here and think I said that you're saved and you don't need to obey God. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. Your obedience is not what makes you right with God. What makes you right with God is Jesus Christ and your living faith. And a living faith is going to obey him. But your ability to keep the law cannot get you right with God because you can't keep it. And that was the problem that these Galatians had. He talks a whole lot more. I wish we had a 
a whole series on this. Oh, we do, don't we? We're going to talk a whole lot more about the rest of the story. This is just one little piece, okay? So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You want to be a child of Abraham today? You want to be a descendant of this man of faith? The way you do that is by having his faith in your heart. Do you trust God? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him enough to do whatever he tells you to do anytime? If you trust him, if you have that heart, that's why God judges our heart. You have that heart that says, I love him and I'm going to serve him and I'm going to follow him. Then you can be a child of God. You remember the believe, repent, confess and be baptized thing I was talking about? He told you to do that not because there's anything that makes you holy in doing that, but because that's the way you express your trust to him. You Do you believe in him? Do you believe Jesus? I do. Do you believe him enough to do what he asks you and walk with him and let him tell you what to do in your life? I do. That's the word repentance. That's what that means. Do you believe him enough to stand in front of people and go, hey, I believe Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe him that much? I do. Then he just asks you to be baptized. In baptism, you know the point of baptism? In baptism, I show that I accept the death. And that's why we dip people in water, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is just a picture of accepting the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's at that moment, the Bible says, that God does his work of washing away our sins. Have you been baptized into Christ? You need to do that today if you haven't. We can take care of that today and you can be right with God and you can depend on him and not on you and your failed attempts to be right with God. You can serve and depend on him. That's the message these Galatians were giving up. Don't give that up. Don't think it's on you. It's on whether or not you have the faith to serve him. And then out of love and devotion, you'll do the rest of your life. It'll change. You'll obey him. You'll do stuff you never believed you'd do. And you won't do stuff you've always done. Why? Because you're living for him now. You're serving and following him. You're not trying to earn his love anymore. You know you've got that. You've always got that. If you're not right with God... I give you that call and that opportunity. Be baptized into Christ today. Really give your life to him. Or if you have some other need, we want to offer to pray for you. If you'll make that need known and come to the front while we stand and sing.